KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome in. We start another week here on the Miller and Condon radio program. Glad you're with us. Uh, we're here for the next couple of hours as we will recap a, a really busy weekend in the world of sports. Uh, we'll do that. We're going to talk to Scott Darkerman on Iowa, likewise Dylan Montz on Iowa State. Willie Harvey, by the way, got a tryout. That's all you could ask. He parlayed mm-hmm. that tryout until actually signing a contract, Trent Condon. So he'll go to camp. He will go to camp and absolutely is going to get paid for doing so. Uh, and good for him. Mm-hmm. Good for him. His career at Iowa State didn't end well. He was kicked out of the Alamo Bowl, as we remember. Right. I mean, you hate for that to be his, um, didn't get to walk off the field with his, the rest of his team, sadly, was in defeat if you're, you know, there to watch Iowa State. But, uh, um, you know what? There's a silver lining in this as he is, got his opportunity here to play in the NFL. So good for him. Dillamont's at 11. And then Matt Snyder. We're going to recap the weekend in baseball and the busy weekend it was. And how about those Cubs? I told you, there's no need to panic. No. <laughs> <laughs> Two and seven. You know what? Calm down, Cubs fans. They'll be fine. Did we, did we do I need to rewind the tape there? Probably, from? probably want to burn the tape. Burn that tape, yeah. No, they're good, Trent. They're they're yes. getting pitching, starting pitching in the bullpen. The offense has come around and and they swept the Cubbies. You know, we'll get, we'll get into the Derby. I want to talk about the Derby, and I'm assuming there's a lot of people that have questions out there about maybe not a lot, but some of you have <laughs> questions about it. It was the right call. Um, it was the difficult call, but it was the right call. Uh, at the end of the day, and I mean, we'll spend more time than just that on it here in a couple of minutes. But I want to go back. Well, that was probably the biggest story in sports of the weekend, don't you yeah, think? I think absolutely. I think yeah. it was too. Uh, I, I do. But I want to start with Kyle Hendricks, the professor on Friday afternoon. Yeah, eighty-one pitches. It eighty-one was. pitches, Trent. That was the second lowest since. Was it? Uh, John Leeper, I want to say. I think okay. I saw 2001, a complete game shutout through 79 pitches, whatever. Uh, but that was a long time ago. We're in the here and now. And that was spectacular. Uh, the professor, who had been, you know, maybe not living up to his, um, you know, what, what he's done over the last couple of years, at least early. And, man, he was good. Quintana was terrific last night. Hugh Darvish is still the question mark, as he couldn't get into the, out of the fourth inning again on Saturday. And the offense bailed him out. But the Cubs card series, Cubs came in with a two-and-a-half game lead. They will leave looking up at the Chicago Cubs. How about that? Did not anticipate that being the case. And the Cardinals had come in playing incredibly good baseball. Figure, hope you can get the series win. Both sides were thinking, mm-hmm. but a sweep? Mm-hmm. Just didn't see that happening. Nor did, did I. Didn't envision that at all. This Cubs team's good. The Cardinals are still good. Yep, they are. Brewers are going to still be there, I think. Yeah, probably so. It's going to be a hell of a race. It really is. We're setting up for a very fun, interesting summer yeah. coming up here with the National League Central. I'm looking forward to it. I don't think this Cubs team is quite as good as they've been. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I is mean, this a team that wins 96-plus games? I don't know about that. I don't know if I would go. What was the overall? Do you remember the 88. total? Was 88? Mm-hmm. That's right. I remember thinking when when they came up, boy, they're not getting a lot of respect. I forgot about that. Baseball that prospectus, bad. the PETA yes. proje- projections had finish, them at 81. Right, finishing last in the division or next to last Something in that like division. That, yeah. 
yeah, they're going to have egg on their face there. But you know what? Welcome to the club. We do this <laughs> seemingly not maybe not day in day out, but uh, um, look at uh, that's what's going to happen, right? Yeah. So uh, Cubs cards was was absolutely spectacular. The NBA was terrific. I enjoyed the heck out of. It. I do have to ask you a question. <laughs> I don't know what you were doing on Saturday night. I know you were out with your buzz. You were that at Prairie with your buddies for the Derby. I'm assuming. Well, you went to a concert at Woolies. Yes. Yeah. I went to Woolies. So you didn't see probably the ending of the overtime period of the Rockets and the Warriors from Saturday night. I did not. No, not live. So I got I got I was just dumbfounded by this. Um you know, we're in overtime and it's 126 to 129, 121. Uh, Curry missed a shot, Harden rebounds the ball. I think there was like 17 seconds left somewhere in there. They're down uh, Golden State's down 5. Yeah. What do you do at that point? Foul, right? Same thing that we saw Extend the game. Game 7 of the Spurs Nuggets. Extend the game. Foul. You know what they did? They stood around. They let Houston dribble the ball out. They never moved, Trent. Never moved. What, what is happening? I, mean, I have no idea. And I don't remember who did the game. Was it Mark Jackson? I don't remember. I heard so many guys over the week. The I think it might have been um, Van Gundy and Jackson. Anyways, okay. yeah, we've seen we're seeing this more and more of late. Really? Why? That's just, that was my question. Why? What's the justification behind? There's none. Let them have the game. We're good. Yeah, 16 seconds left because you know what? No one's ever come down in the history of the game from five down with 16 seconds. <laughs> you see it all the time. We're not talking 12. No. You're not down double digits. A couple of missed free throws and you're right there. Absolutely. Make it, a three. Timeouts. Time you yep. advance the ball. You, you get a foul. You stop the clock. You're on the chair. How many times have you seen the you guys shooting free throws? You team this down shooting free throws with the clock stopped. But correct me if I'm wrong. This is right after Steph Curry missed the dunk. Or a layup. Yeah, he had a couple. Just, yeah. I mean, un- As he went through the middle lane, missed back the Back-to-back. Back. He missed back-to-back back chip shots. So maybe that threw him out of sorts? I guess, but there's four other guys on the court, and, and Steve Kerr on the sidelines. So it's like, I, I, anyways, I was, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it was happening. They'll play tonight. Yes. Game three. Huge or huge game fours, rather, tonight mm-hmm. in both the Celtics and the Bucks. And, of course, in the Warriors uh, and the Rockets, 2-1 is the series lead for both of those. What's going to happen? I mean, 3-1 seems like it's – if you go up 3-1 in your series, I think I saw the number percentage-wise, it's 96%, something mm-hmm. like that. So you don't come back. Uh, in, it's, it's rare to come back from um, – from being down 3-1 in a series. It just is. So basketball, the NBA's been terrific. Got to admit it, the first round of the playoffs for the NBA was a snooze fest. Second round has lived up the expectations. Raptors yesterday and the Sixers, that was good. You know what, Joel Embiid, there's something wrong with this guy. I don't know if it's, they said flu, but we know that the knees are clearly there. When Joel Embiid can be Joel Embiid, he's the best player on the floor and it's not even close. Not even close. When... Or maybe, I shouldn't say that, Kawhi Leonard's pretty good, too. Fair? Very fair. Yeah, number two's pretty good. Um, but, yeah, Joel Embiid was not himself yesterday, and we got a series here. So, uh, basketball's been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that wasn't the case early. All right, Derby in a minute. Let's get this phone call. And then I want to, uh, and if you have a question on the Derby, I don't want to do horse racing talk. I don't. I mean, but you can help out. I can. And if you seriously have a question, 2845966. I'm not going to do a lot in this. We're going to get to the, you know, everything else that's percolating in the world of sports, including your Iowa Wild, <laughs> who tightened up that series as they uh, make it a 2 1 uh, series. The scene stays here for the next two. Wednesday night, Friday night, game four, game five. We're guaranteed a game five. We're guaranteed two games in downtown Des Moines. I have a feeling Friday night. 
is going to be nuts. Beer specials, I know, on Fridays. Absolutely. I was about to say lit, then I realized I was 60. <laughs> you can't you can't pull that I one off? I don't think I can use lit at this point. I think you're good. You can't. You're a hip dude. Uh, yes, I am. Mark Pierce, uh, and then we'll get Mark. Uh, we'll take some If you have a question on the Derby, uh, um, I'm happy to answer it. I'm going to try and do my best to tell you why it was the right call, why it was historic, why it was a difficult call, but why it had to be made. Mark, how are you? Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, guys. Oh, this you were talking about the Wild, and that was a crazy game. I want to give a shout-out to the Hamburglar. Wasn't he something? He stood on his head. Yep. And, you know, uh, Kenny, you know as well as I do, goaltending is everything in the playoffs. Yep. He was outstanding. Good. Good. Hey, just wanted to give you guys uh, credit and a shout-out. You know, we had the uh, 100K cameras Fox was doing over the uh, weekend yep. series in Chicago, as you pointed out. And you told and us about that last <laughs> week, yep. Yeah, a record number of videos, and uh, we're we're crediting your program for that record number of videos. <laughs> well, this program doesn't get a lot of credit, so I'm going to take it. Damn it! <laughs> they had over 150 thousand videos. Is that right? I'm hoping they're mainly Cub videos. Wow! So when will this air, Mark? So thanks to you guys. Oh, and then a plug: if you want to watch yourselves, if you guys send in a video, whoever did. It's Monday night, June 3rd, yep. 8 o'clock Central on FS1. FS1, good stuff. Thank yep. you, Mark. Okay. Appreciate it. Let's go wild. Let's go wild indeed. Even this series of two and mm-hmm. take a lead going back to Chicago. Wouldn't that be something if they're into the next round of the AHL playoffs? Because this is basically, for all intents and purposes, the quarterfinals. Right? Yes, yeah. And here's the thing about this. It lasts longer than the Stanley Cup. I remember that yeah. before, yeah. Right. The AHL, they don't crown their champion until after the Stanley Cup is over. All right, I'm going to bring Ryan in here. Maybe Ryan and I will mutter our way through this derby. Um, it was, it, look, it's historic. It was, it was a horrible public relations event for Churchill Downs. But folks, this could have been a whole lot worse. Because horse racing is not in a good place right now. Um, even if you don't follow the sport, if you read stuff online... Most of you are aware of what kind of winter they had at Santa Anita, which is in Los Angeles. Maybe, no, 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 maybe, one of the top five racing destinations in the country. And they've had almost two dozen horses since the start of the season have to be put down for injuries. Pete is there every day. Uh, this is a sport that, look, I hate to say it, but it's true. It's, I mean, it's never going to be what it used to be. There, you, you couldn't gamble. On anything, there was no lottery. You could bet horses. And that's why it was so popular in the 30s, 20s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And then there became more opportunities, right? And, and horse racing is gone the way it is. Um, that's the last thing they wanted was to have to declare this horse. The best horse was maximum security by far. He was the best horse in the race, but you cannot change paths and Literally, I have no idea. Look, I've called over 40,000 races in my life. You have, sadly, I've seen so many times, and I had really good binoculars, that in my binoculars, and I was almost like I was riding the horse, right? I got that close. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I've seen horses, sadly, break down while I was about to call their names more often than not. So I've seen it, sadly, too many times. How this horse, War of Will, the one horse, who was just gearing up for his run. Now, full disclosure, I bet him 
that was the horse I, I since the scratch and he got to move off the rail. I told everybody that would listen to me, I'm betting the one horse on Saturday. Everybody I talked to at Prairie on tw- my Twitter feed, um, my improbable was my choice. And then my long shots, one, three and five. And I loved this one horse. Was he going to beat maximum security in a cleanly run race? I don't know. I do know he didn't. And he didn't because he lost all chance when he was literally knocked sideways with, I'll remind you, 17 horses coming behind him in some shape, form, or fashion. Not all of them behind him, but you can bet your bottom dollar, had War of Will gone down, there would have been a chain reaction of maybe two, three, four, who knows how many other horses would have hit the deck. And that's all that would have been talked about today and tomorrow and the next day. The disqualification is wearing off. But when Maximum Security turned for home and took the running lane away from War of Will, causing him to check, which started a chain reaction, War of Will checks. He bumps into long-range Toddy, who then gets Bodemeister. Now, the horse that was declared the winner country house, he had no problems in the race. He was not affected one little bit. But the rules of racing state very clearly and have forever, the disqualified horse has to be placed behind the horses that he impeded. So he got War of Will, who finished eighth. If it would have been the only horse, maximum security would have placed ninth. But the stewards also ruled that he dis- that he impeded Long Range Toddy, who finished 17th. So everybody from 17 on up, moves up one place because of the disqualification. Was Maximum Security the best horse in the race? Without a doubt. I don't think, and, and this is me, and I bet the one, was he going to get to the winner? Mm, I'd have liked to think, but I'm not so sure. I'm really not. The disqualification was historic. Here's the other thing. If this was the 145th time they've run this race, this is the first time they've ever disqualified a horse. If you take three weeks of racing at, we'll use Prairie Meadows, right? <laughs> three weeks of racing at Prairie Meadows. They probably run 40 races a week. You can bet in that three weeks, there's going to be a horse disqualified. So it was due. The law of averages said that the Derby was due to see this happen. They probably went, uh, you know, they probably extended those odds and, and went longer than they should have. But it happened. It was historic. It was a difficult day. One other point I want to make, and then we'll get Ryan. And if you want to chime in and you have a question about what I've just said or you think I'm wrong, 2845966. Churchill Downs or anybody could care less who wins the race. They could care less if they pay a long shot or they pay a favorite. It's not like Vegas. Right, You're not betting against the house when you bet horses. You're betting against the other bettors. Every single dollar goes into into one pool. I'll use the win pool for an example, and I'm really going to simplify it. If there's a $100 bet in a, in a race, the takeout, Churchill Downs makes their money before the race is even run because they go in and they take out, I'm going to use 20%. I think it's 17 point something. Regardless. So $100 is bet. $20 comes out of that $100 and they put it in their pocket. That's what they make as a track. Out of that money that they put in their pocket, that $20, the track gets 10 of it. The purses get the other 10 of it. So they've got their money. They could care less about paying the winners. That's not how it works. Vegas, yes. Paramutual wagering literally means by definition in French, betting against each other. 
So they don't care. They don't care. That $80 that's left out of that original $100, if there were two winning dollars, you following me, Trent? I got you. If there are two winning dollars, there's $80 in the win pool. Of that, two people bet $1 each on the winning horse, they would each get 40 bucks. That's how odds are determined. That's how payouts are determined. They don't care. Another way, another way I can describe this too, if you go to Vegas, and a lot of you do, and you bet on sports, you getting a drink ticket? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah you yeah. bet on sports? Unless you're betting You bet money. horses, unless you bet big, big money, mm-hmm. they don't give you a drink ticket. If you walk up to the window in Vegas and bet on a horse, want a drink ticket? Sure. Yeah. Right? There's no risk. There is zero risk in horse racing for the casinos. For the tracks, you're betting against yourselves. That's where it's different. So they don't care. Um, Ryan wants to join the program. Ryan, thanks for being patient. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, this qualification helped us. I had 10 across the board on the 20, and it got my dad the dollar try. But the thing I was surprised about, was the amount of time. I mean, they interviewed the full jockey, yeah, the fair trainer. Point. Fair point. And fair. usually, by the time the horse gets back to the winter circle, the red light, yep. the yellow light is on. The objection or the inquiry. And, Ryan, you're 100% right. And If this would have been the first race of the day at Churchill Downs, which was 930 in the morning, it would have taken five minutes. If this would have been the fourth race on Prairie Meadows this coming Thursday, it would have taken five minutes. Because it was the Kentucky Derby and it had never been done before and the stewards knew that they were going to become the story of the race, that they were going to be injected into the recap of Derby 145 because nobody will ever forget this. That Remember back in 100 years from now when they're on Derby 245, <laughs> if they still have the sport, they'll be talking about 145 when the stewards disqualified the winner, and that's never happened before. That's why it took so long, Ryan. I'm and convinced. I know it should have took, but shouldn't they have, the jockey would alert somebody right away. So they did. Have been on, they on did. the board immediately to let them know, hey, we're looking at it, so then... That would change that whole conversation with the sevens jockey and the owner. Well, and thanks for the call, Ryan. And you're right. Um, the I was surprised that the stewards instantly didn't hang the inquiry sign, which normally there's three stewards up in the stewards booth. My experience is two of them watch the race out in binoculars. Mm-hmm. One of them watches it on TV. They watch it very closely. And if they see something that happens during the running of the race, as soon as the race is over, they will put the inquiry sign on the board. They'll alert the announcer what to say. He'll tell the public that there's a, there's, there's a steward's inquiry. Or what was the case here at Churchill Downs, there was a jockey's claim of foul. But my question is, it has been since the race was run, is why did the, the jockey on number one not claim foul? He was the one that took the worst of it. Trent, I've posted two pictures on my Twitter feed. I'm Ken Miller. I am Ken Miller. And by the way, we're accepting new followers oh, this yes. week only. <laughs> um, I posted two pictures, two still photos. I've no, you can see the actual legs of the leader, maximum security, come out and take the legs from War of Will mm-hmm. in one shot. In another shot, you can literally see him turn sideways. His rear end is about to hit the wall, or the rail, rather. That's not how you run races. You stay in a straight course. How he didn't fall. How this wasn't catastrophic. How this wasn't a story that we'd be talking about all week long. 
it's nothing short of miraculous. It's the jockeys that on the one that kept him up, but why he didn't claim foul, I have no idea. How does that work after the race? When you're pulling up, you see the guy, the outriders, they're called the guys mm-hmm. in the red jackets. As you're, as you're on the gallop out, if you are, you know, you want to claim foul. I'm going to, you rode number two and I, and I rode number six and I thought that number two came in front of me. I will make my way as I'm pulling up my six horse. I'll make my way to you and I will, I will yell at the outrider. Hey, I want to claim foul on Condon on the two. He came out and he took my path away at the top of the stretch. The outrider will then get on his radio. Mm-hmm. He'll alert the stewards in the stewards stand. The two is claiming, no, the six is claiming foul against the two, alleging interference at the top of the stretch. War Will didn't do that. His, didn't do that. Rider. Didn't do that. The jockey on the 20, who had clear sailing, had nothing impact his race whatsoever. He finished second. Mm-hmm. So you elevate him to the win spot. I know that a lot of people don't understand that. But if you take the winner and you put him 17th, which is behind long-range Toddy, who checked sharply and lost all chance at that point. Now, it looked to me like he was about ready to throw in the towel, but that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He was interfered with. It was the right call. There's no other call that could be made. Again, first race of the day at Churchill Downs, this takes not even five minutes. Prairie Meadows on a Thursday night, fourth race in August, this takes not even five minutes. Kentucky Derby, historical. I give him credit for doing it, Trent. I do. I knew it was the right thing as soon as I saw it. I didn't, I wasn't sure that they would do it knowing the magnitude of the race. The owners are going to file appeals. They're going to file lawsuits. They don't have a leg to stand on. So uh, how about Ryan's dad hitting the try? Yeah, that was over ten grand for a dollar. Eleven thousand four seventy-five. How about that? Good nice night. Turn. I have no idea about the twenty. You know bet the you know who else bet the winner? You know who else bet the winner? Guess who bet the winner? Uh Dan Bookite, my best man in my wedding. Well he did. He, I don't know about Dan. This audience doesn't know Dan. <laughs> but they know a guy who had an historic run in the fall betting football. Picking football games. No way. Chris Williams. No way. He did. But here's where Chris messed up. Uh-oh. He bet it online. Uh-huh. He bet it in illegally. Uh-huh. <laughs> he bet offshore on his offshore account that, thankfully, we're not going to have to be doing that anymore. But you know how, you know how what, ha- what happened? They capped him at 35 to 1. Oh. Offshore places don't pay track odds. Mm-hmm. They actually book the bets. So they were out. That's why that's a perfect example of different. Paramutual betting against the house. Offshore, they book the bets. But they weren't going to pay out 65 to 1. No. They capped Chris. I think he's, he posted, he tweeted his ticket. I think it was 35 to 1 he got. So he left 30 points on the table by not getting in his car. That's a stinger. I remind you where he lives. Yes. Look at me criticizing somebody for staying at home. Well, you were out and about. <laughs> I was out. I was a man of the community. Yes. Chris Twice got... in a week. When was the other time? Oh, it was a ballpark. <laughs> yes. That's right. Um, but he was capped at 35 to 1. That one stings. My yeah. buddy uh, just, well, he goes up there. He bet uh, a try that he had no idea about. And then his baseball numbers from high school. Mm-hmm. So it was the 5 and 11. And the lady, I'm helping him. The lady said, 11 scratched. Oh, uh, 20. That was his, that was his basketball number. Are you kidding me? That's how, but he bet to show. Oh. So his $5 bet, he got 65 bucks or whatever. Still. 70 bucks, yeah. 
I mean, I know where my ticket's were at the end of the day, right on the floor. Yeah, Ella will have the original rumor. I saw you yes, tweet that, right? Yes. It, was, it was like, uh, who beat Truman? Dewey beats Truman. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Had the, put a picture of the ticket up there. Good job. No. And then, of course, all the comments afterwards. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we left before the official. You got tired of waiting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was taking a long time. 20-something minutes. We had a concert to get to, so. We were standing on the escalator like, yeah, hey, let's just roll. It's all right. Curry was fun on Saturday, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it really is. Big a fun group. place to be on Derby Day. Tons of people. Yep. Opened up both the craps tables. I like that. Oh. Oh, yeah. I so wrote... you you went, you went ventured down to the second floor. You didn't spend all your time on four. Is no. What you're telling In me. fact, I didn't go to the fourth floor at all. We went down. and oh, we were outside we're... to watch the Yeah, race? yeah. That's where we on watched On the it. apron. Yeah. It was packed out there, too. It was. Because we, my final buddy got there late, mm-hmm. so we Stood in line for 45 minutes getting his bets in, mm-hmm. the one that hit his show bet on the 20 horse, his basketball number. Uh, in a kind of, nah, not morbid, uh, I, I hope that Country House wins the Preakness. Yeah. And gets oh. to the Belmont with, because Trent, there's going to be a big old fat asterisk if this horse wins. I don't believe he will. I no. don't believe he will. I really don't. Like he ran a hell of a race, but he was free of trouble the entire way. Having said that, he overcame an outside post position, which is not easy. Now, he was in post 18 due to the scratches, mm-hmm. um, but he overcame his outside post position. He was well-meant. There's no doubt about it uh, that he was on his game and he was poised to fire his bullet on the first Saturday in May, which is the goal, because you get to run in this race once. This race is for three-year-olds. You, it's not like you can, oh, you ran a bad race, I'll come back and win this race next year. Right. You get one chance at the world's most famous horse race, one only. And I, and I get a kick out of the, well, you know, there's different, they don't, that's not how they do things in the UK. Well, maybe that's not, maybe they don't. But you know what? Last time I looked, Louisville, Kentucky, and Churchill Downs, they don't follow the UK rules. They follow the American rules of racing. Tough day. Unbelievable day. Historic in a lot of ways. Thank you for uh, listening to the horse racing talk. Back to regular programming with Scott Dockerman <laughs> uh, as we continue on here. It's Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Oh. Condon, welcome back to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, with you until noon. Cyclones with Dylan Montz in about 25 minutes, but we're actually going to do some Cyclones and at least one little nugget uh, with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic, because one of his colleagues, Adam Johns, wrote a tremendous piece on David Montgomery and the Bears and Ryan Pace making his way to the Alamo Bowl and blah, blah, blah. Doc, Trenton, Trenton Ken, thanks for coming on, Scott Dockerman. How are you? Hey, great, guys. How's it going? Doing well. That piece this morning, uh, David Montgomery, uh, by your colleague, inside the draft and what it took when they identified this running back from Iowa State that they thought was going to be exactly what they need. And Adam Johns wrote about it at The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's two ninety nine a month. Um, but, boy, oh, boy, certainly well worth it. That's a great piece, Doc. It really is. And really insightful as they peel back the curtain. Yeah, it was, and uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it was easy for everybody to say, "Hey, he he might fit in what uh, Ryan Pace want, and and then of course Matt Nagy wants to do in Chicago." But to, to see the the amount of detail that Adam Johns, who was with the Sun Times, you know, was able to get from you know one on one with Pace about it and and to put everything together like that, I think that's kind of uh, you know not to shoot our own horns, but that's kind of what the athletics all about yep. is is trying to get 
more detail and a bigger picture rather than, okay, here's the news. They liked uh, David Montgomery. They traded up to draft him. But the why and the background and the backstory, I think, you know, Adam Johns did a tremendous job with that. And I'm sure Iowa State fans would like to read something about that. It was really interesting. Matt Nagy, you know, getting everybody in there, talking about candy with him and his 100 gram bars and just just everything else. I mean, those kind of stories, Doc, and now your ability to do those kind of things, it's got to be fun. I mean, that, that kind of latitude that you have as a sports writer, is this almost like a dream job for you? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I like doing these types of stories. I like going in depth and, and being able to bring and provide more. I think I did a good job when I was with Peter Rapids Gazette of doing those stories when, when warranted. But, you know, that's the challenge now. You know, and certainly at the, the Des Moines Register, Cedar Rapids Gazette and other newspapers around the state, their charge is a little bit different. Um, they are the, the paper and the, the institution of record for communities, and and that's a, an important service in, in this world. Every every single day it's important. But what we're able to do is something a little bit different. It's almost similar to uh, what Sports Illustrated was, which was let's tell a little bit bigger, better story. Um, you know, we don't we're not confined by space. Uh, we're, we're allowed to do that. And you know, a week ago I was able to spend time with Parker Hesse on his. Uh, day to, to you know when he hoped to you know either get drafted or signed and it was a COVID blizzard to get there and and it was uh, just you know being able to describe everything that went on that day was something I really enjoyed doing and I enjoy doing every week and hopefully I can uh, you know I have plans to do quite a few more here in the in the coming weeks and months before uh, football starts. Well, your iron sharpens iron piece was really good. I mean, what a battle that would be. You know, if you get an opportunity to watch practice, how do you just not watch Epinesin Wurfs every single snap, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at those three in particular, and Alec Jackson. Him too, yeah. Terrific as well, you know. I mean, you look at those guys, and, and they tip the field. They're guys that when you see them, you could see that, okay, this, these guys are at a little bit different level than the rest. And that's not saying that the other guys aren't good, too. I mean, they're going to have, you know, out of the remaining players, there's going to be draft picks, and there's going to be all Big Ten caliber athletes. But, you know, Epineza and and Wurfs and Jackson, to me, are just three guys that they scream first round. Um, You know, Wurfs didn't allow a sack last year. Uh, Jackson had one of the highest grades in the country as a pass protector, yet he allowed two. And then you look at Epineza, he's, he's, you know, in part-time duty, tied for the Big Ten lead in, in sacks. So uh, those guys just, again, they tip the field. They're going to be guys you're going to see on Sundays and not only playing and starting but excelling on Sundays eventually. So it's kind of fun to watch uh, athletes of that type of caliber uh, compete against one another. Well, and Doc, I'm really excited. Kind of the fourth guy of that group. you got the two offensive tackles, the two DNs. Everybody excited to see more Epinesa certainly this year. But see more Chauncey Golson. That kid has been a playmaker Whenever he's been on the field, you know what it's going to be. Every game plan, every scheme is going to be, we got to find a way to slow down A.J. Epinesa. This could be much like, I know a lot of people before the year talked about maybe Hawkinson to statistically have a better year than what we saw out of Noah Fant. Could be the same thing here. It wouldn't surprise me at all if you look at the stats at the end of the year and Golston ends up having a better year. Excellent take. Just, just because of what's going to happen on the other side. You're, you're not wrong, Trent. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think... Uh, you know, one of the interesting things is the other three kind of walked in the door with with ready-made bodies. I mean, they had to be reshaped, of course, and, and proved. But but you look at Chauncey Golson. He said he walked in at 224, and now he's 268, and you would never be able to know that he was 224. 
Uh, you know, last year in, in really spot duty, he played the same number of snaps as Epineza. He had nine tackles for loss. He had one in eight straight games. He tied for the Big Ten lead with three fumble recoveries. And, you know, he played inside. He was an inside pass rusher a lot of the downs because Anthony Nelson was outside, and then he played some outside. He really likes the fact he's very quick. So I think he's got a chance to really excel as well. And you can't double-team both. I mean, you might be able to chip, um, you know, one with the other, maybe slide it back over and pick up Epineza when the tackle gets run. But at the same time, you know, then if you continue to do that as an offense, you're going to stunt your own growth because Iowa's secondary is pretty good. So I think uh, this this could be the makings of, you know, four perimeter players at, at an elite level, not just a very good level. What's it going to take for, for Nate Stanley to, to um, you know, to elevate his game to a point where, you know, he's talked about as a, a first or second day guy. I don't think he's a first round pick, but I don't know what, I mean, we know there's Tua uh, and there's a couple of Hebert and there's a couple of others quarterbacks that are you know going to get all the buzz but Nate Stanley man he certainly looks the point he really does um he's kind of when we've been calling him this for since he got the opportunity right he's like in some ways Ben Roethlisberger size wise I'm not comparing the two Roethlisberger's got Super Bowl rings and we'll have a bust in Canton uh at, at some point but but Nate Stanley physically completely everything is there with him I think he's going to get his opportunity and be shocked if he didn't what's it going to take to you know to go to that next level where people are talking about him in next year's quarterback class. You know, it's going to be, it's more about intangible and technique than anything else. I mean, statistically, if he just matches what he did the first two years, he's fourth in Big Ten history in touchdown passes. He exceeds Chuck Long in Iowa. That seems, you know, you'd immediately you go, wow, he must be one of the great ones. Well, what he needs to do is win the close games. I mean, Iowa's five and six in games decided by a a touchdown or less in Stanley's era. I think his best performance in a tight game, well, there's probably two, one each year, one at Iowa State two years mm-hmm. ago and last year against Mississippi State. But he's had games where he's really struggled, you know, against good defenses on the road or, you know, Penn State situation last year. It's a lot of it's intangible and technique with him. He mentioned that he needs to, you know, improve his ball placement, you know, his hips and shoulders getting online because I think a lot of times when he's struggling with confidence, he doesn't step and throw with the same authority that he does when he is there, and he just starts to aim, and, and that puts him behind receivers, which we saw a lot early last year when he was struggling. So if he can improve in those areas, he, he completes at 59%, that needs to improve. Uh, then you know Iowa gets more first downs. They move the ball more effectively. It helps the, the running game and certainly helps him uh, because I think how you know Nate Stanley's performance will – most likely determine whether or not Iowa is playing in Indianapolis or playing mm-hmm. in the Holiday Bowl, for mm-hmm. instance. So uh, I think, you know, he is the key factor in what Iowa does this year. Do you know what his, uh, his off-season pl- or summer plans are, I guess, is, you know, we're in the off-season now, but, um, you know, the, Peyton, uh, the Manning passing camp or something like that, does he have any of those uh, plans uh, for the summer to go to one of those things to get some coaching from guys who a played the position or certainly you know know what it takes and I'm sure Kirk could pick up the phone and talk to anybody in the league as you know at the at the behest of his quarterback but do you know what his summer plans are at all Doc? Well, he hasn't really talked about anything like that. We haven't had a lot of opportunities to speak with him, but you know he he does talk a lot about you know getting the guys together. They have a text group, uh, you know, putting a lot of the, you know, getting together, throwing routes this summer. Uh, so I, I would imagine he would probably go to one of those. That's, that's 
but I, I can't verify that yet either here in the, in the just with the camp just ending. So I think he's uh, it would be smart for him to do that. As you've mentioned, you know, he's got the frame. You know, he's not necessarily a running quarterback or, or anything, but he, he can move. He's decent laterally. Uh, he's got some challenges I think he needs to overcome, maybe personality-wise mm-hmm. at the next level. I think it would behoove him to go to a place where there's maybe an established starter, uh, say like Atlanta, you know, with Matt Ryan, who's still in, in his prime. But if Nate went there, say, as a second or third rounder, maybe he's there a couple of years, and before he gets his opportunity, that might be uh, in his best interest. But, uh, you know, certainly working with the Mannings, if he gets that opportunity, would be something he can't turn down. You know, during uh, Kirk's press conference a week ago Friday after the open practice for you guys, he talked about the offensive job is to protect the defense. And I know a lot of people took those comments and, of course, freaked out again. We've seen the continued evolution on the defensive side of the ball with Phil Parker. Is it because Kirk is an offensive guy and an offensive line coach that we haven't seen the same kind of evolution offensively? They're playing at a quicker pace, but still, they're not at the pace of a lot of teams in college football. The zone blocking scheme remains a big part of what they do. Is it just Kurt's fingerprint and, and maybe why it's more difficult for them to change offensively? Uh, you know, I think so much of that is embedded in, uh, in what he believes can be done at Iowa, and I agree with him quite a bit. And that is, you know, at Iowa, getting receivers who run 4-4, it's just not going to happen. You know, you, you if you go into Indianapolis and you're competing for David Bell, then they're going to go – He's going to go to Purdue and, and because he, they throw the ball 100 times a game. So what you can get, though, are T.J. Hawkinson and Brandon Sheriff and Tristan Wirfs. And, you know, and so you, you rely on that. You're, you're recruiting elite areas to kind of guide you principally uh, through your program. Now, uh, take a look at the, at the Mississippi State game. If Iowa would have started throwing right away, they would have started teeing off on Nate Stanley because their defensive line was elite level. It was as good as I can remember in any season and uh, they had a good enough secondary where they would have been disruptive so he understood as well as brian ferentz understood that even though it was a losing proposition to continue to run the, the ball early on they had to to keep their defense off the field because it was a hot day they had a team with a running quarterback who could really create some issues so uh they were willing to take the loss to win the war and and they did and and i think that's what it's talking about, you know, use the offense to protect the defense, which is, hey, if we can, you know, prevent the other team from going up the field 10 plays, 80 yards, uh, or if they do that, then you can at least keep them on the sidelines if you run the ball physically. So I, I believe what, in what Kirk says on that. I think it's right for what Iowa does. It's not right for what everybody does. So I think it's a, it's a smart thing to do. And, and what it really means, though, is Iowa has to run the ball better. If it can run the ball effectively, Brian Ferentz has said 4.5 yards per carry is is championship level for this program, and it's proven to be true. So if he can do that, um, then he can protect the defense and win football games. Uh, Dylan Mons on Iowa State in about 15 minutes. Uh, Doc, my last thing for you, Isaiah Moss has switched to basketball. Uh, just your thoughts on uh, what the loss means to the roster and then to uh, to playing time as we move forward to, and I certainly don't want to get there very quickly, to November uh, when, the, when they're back on the floor. Yeah, let's give it some time. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, you know, right now they, you know, with with Isaiah Moss, I think it's a huge concern. I mean, you've got a guy who's, uh, you know, started 96 games. You know, took a redshirt year, wants to leave, willingly wants to leave. This should be his year to excel, but yet he wants to leave the program. 
it doesn't bode well for Iowa. This isn't somebody who says, I want to go to the draft or somebody like Brady Ellingson who wants to play. No, he's had these opportunities. He just doesn't like it. So uh, you're looking at a roster right now that's lost 42% of its minutes and 41% of its points. And I think that's very, you know, right now for Iowa, that's very concerning. You've lost elite level athlete and Tyler Cook to the draft. Uh, you know, you've lost uh, a backup in Macy Daly, who is, you know, a pretty good athlete. You've lost, you know, Isaiah Moss, who, uh, when he's he's good, he's very very good. When he's not, he's averaged or below average, but very inconsistent. When I think Iowa didn't do a very good job of developing that consistency from him, so I think you lose those three athletes combined with Nicholas Bear, who graduated. Uh, yeah, you can fill in the gaps. I mean, Jack Nunzi's there, but I think people need to really be careful when they start putting Joe Tucson in some sort of savior category. He's a freshman in the Big Ten, playing 20 games plus playing great other opponents. I think uh, I think Iowa's in trouble personally. I, I just I don't see I don't know that they have enough athletic ability right now. They've got some shooting ability, but I don't know if they have enough athletic ability to win double digit games in the Big Ten and make the NCAA tournament. I'm right there with you with Tucson. Mm, I hope you're both kid. wrong. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm with you on Tucson, but I'm... he's he's not a top 150 player, and expect him to come in and be this great. Uh, just well, I, I mean, the Rosetta Stone for this basketball team is unrealistic. I had a question though, lineup wise. Wieskamp maybe playing the two a little bit more. I think that's a possibility. Then you got to find a way. Could you see a, a lineup where you had even Connor McCaffrey be the quote unquote small forward at time if you have Tucson or Bohannon out there running the point? Wieskamp at the two, something like that. Could they play around a little bit more and tinker in that? I just, I, I'm very nervous that we're going to see again Brand try to put power forwards into the small forward role, and, and we've seen that can be a disaster at times. Yeah, there's some there's some question marks there. I mean, you know, when you yeah, you talk about you know one of the things though with Iowa and its motion offense, it's not necessarily set one, two, three, four, five. It's more about athletes and abilities and what have you. I, yeah, I think uh, whether you know some question marks I might have is one that Connor McCaffrey start at the point and Jordan move over to two and and we scan the three continue or do they slide we scamp over and bring in you know Patrick McCaffrey or Jack Nungie at the three. You know, what does this mean for, you know, uh, you got Luca Garza, of course, who's been really good in the post, but, you know, Ryan Craner or, or Cordell Pimsel, you know, I, I, why do you want to keep them in a like, three-man rotation underneath? But, uh, you know, the, the, there's, there's going to be some options there. And, I mean, they're, they're good players. I'm not going to try to say that they're not. But just right now, I'm, I'm, you know, when you're comparing Iowa with Cook, with Moss, teams like Michigan State, Wisconsin, and what have you, they're in that category. They're at least competitive. I don't know that they are now, and I think that has got to be a huge concern. And if they can't get anybody who can beat guys off the dribble and do things that way, you know, they can get suffocated on the on the perimeter, and, and that could be a real problem. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, thank you. Appreciate a really good hit this week, Doc. We'll do it again next week. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Scott Dockerman. His phone was shooting craps there uh, at the end. We'll come back, finish up the hour. Dylan Montz, Ames Tribune, in about 12 minutes or so. We're going to talk baseball with Matt Snyder, CBS Sports, at 11.20, Miller & Condon. Till noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. AXNO. <laughs> 
Time to go for the green with KXNO and EKG Golf. Text the keyword COIN to 200-200 right now. Your chance to enter to win $1,000 cash. That's COIN to 200-200. Standard message and data rate supply. So, speaking of golf, PGA next week? Uh, next week. Did you watch any of the golf yesterday? I didn't. Five I watched, minutes of it, maybe? I, I watched over. the final two holes of the guy that won. Matt Hom. Something like that. Great story, Trent. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy that lost his opportunity, had to go down to the, what do they call it, the uh, the web tour, uh-huh. um, and was one step, he had to make birdie birdie in his last opportunity to even stay on that tour before he, what, he had to go back to qualifying school. I mean, it was, he was up against it and wins the tournament yesterday and for winning $1.4 million for the, for that's the winner's share, but more importantly, Tour card. He's exempt from qualifying. Homa? Hama? Homa. Yeah, Homa? that's it. Matt Homa. Matt Homa. Great story. Him and his caddy, two best buddies growing up. Good story. Glad I saw the uh, the final couple of holes. There was no drama. He was. Yeah. I saw the leaderboard and I saw that he was comfortably in front. Comfortably in front. No doubt about Flipped that. right off of it. Absolutely. Um, just one more thing on the Derby, and this is away from it. Bryce Miller. Remember Bryce Miller? Of course, yeah. Uh, Des Moines Register, um, San Diego Union Tribune. He was covering the Derby. The the uh, uh, the w- winning owners, well, they thought they were the winners, um, but they're from San Diego, so he was there to cover that. He's sitting in a bar yesterday in Louisville, nowhere near the track. Guessing his flight was, and he couldn't get a flight out until today. Because mm-hmm. you ever tried to leave Louisville on a Sunday? I haven't after but the Derby. I've heard it's difficult. Yeah, a little trouble, a little tricky. Um, anyways, he's staying miles away from the track itself, sitting in a, sitting in a bar last night having a beer. Mine in his own business. And what comes through the front door? The Garland of Roses. What? It's probably, I don't know, 20 feet long. Yeah. And there's three or four people, and they're lugging it into the bar that he was at. And, I mean, that's pretty cool, right? I, that's awesome. That was, that was, yeah. I mean, talk about you didn't expect that to happen on a night out where you're killing time before you can get your plane and get the hell out. All right, we'll come back with the 11 o'clock hour. Dylan Montz leads things off. He covers Iowa State for the Ames Tribune. Matt Snyder, Trent, and I will talk baseball. Matt's with CBSSports.com. We are here until noon. and glad you're with us. It's Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.